Praise God for that, church. Like we said in the video, it has no doubt been a, a year unlike any others. And what we've come to find out in this year is that for us, especially as a church, this was not going to just be a year where we mailed it in and we just kind of waited until things passed. But this was going to be a year that's still going to be a year of impact for us at MCC. And through what we saw in that video and what I believe we're going to continue to see as we enter into the home stretch of what has been 2020, we're going to continue to see God be faithful. So many of those wins and those amazing things that we were able to share with you were because so many of you through this season have stayed committed to see the cause of Christ move forward here at MCC. And specifically, you've done that through your generosity, through your giving. And again, like we said in the video, we are right now on straight up pace to be able to hit all of what our budget is for this year. And my hope and prayer is that we stay on track. We need your help to do that. But my hope is that we can go into whatever 2021 will bring from a place of health, from a place of just being locked and loaded and ready to go to be able to make disciples here at McDonough as in the rest of the world. For those of you who want to give, you can give online. Many of you have already switched to doing that or you can give in person. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to dive into God's word for us today. But before I do, I almost forgot. You have another chance to be generous. Uh, kindness works. There's already a ton, I mean literally a ton of gift cards back in there. The Kindness Works Christmas Party drive through this big uh, party that we throw on for the special needs family here in our community. That's going to be happening this coming weekend. Either you can drop it off today or you can come by the office at any point this week, probably before Thursday would be nice, um, and you can drop off those gift cards so that we can bless those families this week. Let's pray and then give God our attention as we go into his word. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that we, God, as your people, can follow in what you did and that you so love the world that you gave, and you gave your only son. And Father, I pray now that as we are asked to give things that are much less costly, we would give it with generous, full hearts, God, that out of what has been given to us, we are willing to give to you, God. We live open-handed, open-hearted lives. Be with us as we dive into your word, Jesus. Let it meet us where we are. Don't leave us there, though. Don't leave us. Change us. Not by my words, but by the power of your word, Jesus. In your name, amen. So I want to show you a picture, and I want to uh, see how much you know about football. Anybody watch some football this weekend? Some football? Yeah? Anybody watch some football? Yes? Okay, good, good, good. There wasn't that many great football games. Uh, but nonetheless, I want to show you this picture, okay? So today we're, in, we're continuing on our series called At War. Today we're going to be talking about the helmet of salvation. And so I wanted to show you kind of a, the, the most popular, in my opinion, modern helmet, which is the football helmet. Now, on this football helmet, there is a green dot. Raise your hand if you're in the room and you know what a green dot is, okay? So, we got some people online. Um, if you know what the green dot is and you're watching online, just go ahead and, and, and write that in there, okay? Let us know what the green dot is for. Uh, for those of you who are like, I'm in the dark, I don't know what the green dot is for, that little green dot represents a helmet that has an electronic device in it that allows whoever is wearing that helmet to be able to receive communications from a coach, most of the time, it's the offensive coordinator, the person who's calling the plays. And so the person on the field can hear the plays that the person in the booth is calling so that they know what to do on the field. And as I found myself praying over us and praying for how we would come into this place where we begin to figure out what is this helmet of salvation, I found myself praying that very same prayer. That we as God's people, as we put on this salvation helmet, it would be a helmet with a green dot on it. It would be one where we listen and willingly take the calls to run the plays 
that our heavenly coordinator is giving us. Because again, we, we could all do it our way. But we all, any of us who ever plays board or watch a game, the person who disregards what the coordinator is saying into their helmet, they don't find themselves on the field very long. If they do find themselves staying on the field, they find themselves losing. The reality is, guys, we are facing opposition. We are facing an opponent far greater and far more, far more uh, important than a football team. We are facing a real-life enemy in the spiritual forces. And that's what we've been diving into as we've been talking about this series about the armor of God, the spiritual warfare that we are in. Again, we've made the point over and over again. People are not the problem. Enemy, yes, yes, all those things. People are not the problem. And so today we're going to be diving into this helmet of salvation. I think this one uh, is going to take some unpacking for us to really understand, but I want to dive into that passage that Paul has us in. Again, this has been our jumping off point. By now, hopefully, you're beginning to maybe even memorize some of this scripture. But if you've got a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start there, Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. This is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to take your stand. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And this is where we're going to lean into today and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Today we're going to talk about Paul's charge to us as he is there in a Roman prison looking at a Roman soldier trying to figure out how he can encourage the people that he is there with how to stand guard against this active enemy that they face. And he uses this metaphor as he looks at the soldier and says, okay, piece by piece, if we're going to stand ground against an enemy who's seeking to come against us and even our own flesh who acts as really oftentimes even a more forceful and strong enemy against us, here is what you need to be outfitted with to stand your ground, to fight and be successful. And he picks out this thing called the helmet of salvation. Now, when we get there and we hear this terminology, the helmet of salvation, we've got to remember that whose armor is this, first of all? So whose armor is this? Not a trick question. God's, yes. Woo! Even the Sunday school kids got that one. It's God's armor, and he gives it to believers. So oftentimes it's referred to as the believer's armor. And that believersness implies that this is someone who has received salvation already. So we come to this thing that is the helmet of salvation. And maybe you're like me, you found yourself going there and going, well, does that mean I need to get saved again? I thought I was already saved. Why do I need to put on a helmet that is salvation? I think what Paul also wrote to the church in Thessalonica gives us a little bit more of a clue as to what he was getting after when he said to take up the helmet of salvation. He said this to the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonians 5, 8. If you've got a Bible, you can read along. If not, it's on the screens. He said, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, which means drunk soldiers don't make good soldiers. Sober ones are ideal putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. 
Now, you read something like that, and if you're thinking about God's word, as you're reading God's word, you should go, the hope of salvation. I thought I already had salvation. Why do I need to hope in salvation? And why is that what makes it a helmet? What you need to know, and again, we, we talked about this a little bit already, is Paul shifts his language as he begins to enter into the home stretch of the pieces of armor that we're supposed to put on. So the first few pieces, he says, these are the ones you're supposed to put on. And then he shifts his language from put on to take up, to imply that there are certain things that you keep on at all times. Don't ever take off. Don't ever take off truth. Don't ever take off the righteousness of God. Don't ever take off the gospel and the readiness that comes with it. But he says there are going to be certain times and certain situations that you face in this warfare where you're going to need to take up certain things to be able to stand guard against this active enemy. You're going to need to take up a shield. And here he's saying you're going to need to put on and take up this helmet of salvation. Now what I want to do, it's going to take me a little bit of time to do, but I want to walk you through what salvation actually is. What is actually happening over the course of salvation. Because many people, we have a very oversimplified view of what salvation is actually is and you guys saw the whiteboard out today you're online you're like oh man i better go get me an extra piece of paper we're going to be notes on notes on notes today because i want to teach you this because i believe and i'll ask the first service like many people in the room were like i've never heard that before and again this is basic christian doctrine that we've got to get and got to understand because i i want you to know that paul when he says put on the helmet of salvation he's not saying every day you wake up you know make sure your salvation is secure it's not what he's saying okay so let me walk you through this, all right? First of all, we're talking about salvation. T-I-O. All right, salvation. Now I'm going to say something that may alarm some of you, maybe if you've been in church for a long time. Your salvation is made up of three phases. And those phases are not go to church, Go on a mission trip and tithe. They are a little bit heftier than those three phases of salvation, okay? So what I want to walk you through is helping you understand that you as a person, you are what is called a trichotomy. Now don't throw your shoes at me, I didn't just call you a cussword. You are a trichotomy, which means that you are made up of three unique parts. You are not just a body. Science would just say you're just a body that thinks some thoughts, and then when you die, you become worm dirt. The biblical view and our biblical understanding is not that we are just a body. And we're not just a body and a, and a mind. We would be a trichotomy that is, is made up of spirit, soul, and then a body. This thing that we stuffed full of turkey. All last week. Okay? So you exist in these three parts. Now let me unpack these a little bit so we know where we're at. And then we're going to go even further. All right? First of all, let me give you some lines to color in because I'll get a little crazy out here. Okay. So you have a spirit. And here's what I mean by your spirit. You were created in the image and likeness of God. God is an eternal being. Which means, for instance, there is something about you that is eternal. There is this spirit that God has placed inside of you that right now is temporarily going to be on earth, but is going to spend its entirety in a place that is eternal, either heaven or hell. Now, each of us, 
We are not just people who are bodies that happen to have a spirit. We are spirits that happen to, in this very moment, in this room, be inhabiting a body. All right? Our backtracking. Okay? That's who we are right now. Now, the problem with this thing called our spirit is that by inheritance, our spirits have entered into sin. When Adam, the first man who was ever created, sinned, ate of the apple there in the garden, we as creation from then, as, as, as mankind, we inherited in our spirit, not just in our flesh and our tendencies, we inherited in our spirit a nature of sin. And that has to be dealt with. Okay, So we're, we're tracking here because that, that's, that's not a good thing. So we are spirit, soul, and body. And because we're that, and because we're creating the image and likeness of God, we exist in this little old thing called time, which means there is a past, there is a present, and there also is a future. All right? Past, present, future, not a really hard thing to understand. I want to camp out here on this because this is phase one of salvation. All right? So our spirits, by us putting our faith and trust in Jesus, this spirit that is going to spend an eternity somewhere, because of our sin, because of the mistakes that we made, because of the sin inheritance from Adam and our original sin fallenness, we were destined to spend an eternity separated from a holy God. Because God can't have anything to do with our sin. There would be separation there. So the only way that our past and our spirit can receive salvation is if we are justified. So this part of our salvation is referred to as justification. This is where your soul, the eternal part of you, that was deemed because of your sin to spend an eternity away from God has now been redeemed and it is just as if I'd never sinned. It's justified. That means everything in your past is now covered up, taken care of, and your future is secure in Christ. You are now justified as a holy God looks at you Jesus' sin traded place, and your sin became Jesus' sin, and his righteousness became your righteousness. And now, before a holy God, you are justified. And when this happens, you are freed from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, which was hell, eternal separation from your Father God. Okay, so this right here is phase one of your salvation. This is where my spirit has now been reborn. And so my past has been forgiven. I now stand before God justified. And the penalty of sin, hell, is no longer on my shoulder because Jesus on the cross paid that penalty. Amen? That's good news. Okay, we're going to skip this one a little bit. Let's talk about our body. My body. All right. Our body, okay? How, do you, how many of you know this about your body? It's failing you. All right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You know, like, I, I mean, and I'm, I'm 32 years old, I know, and most of you guys' eyes, I'm still just this super green, you know, whatever, but like, I, I, sometimes, even now, I wake up and I go like, that didn't hurt before I went to sleep. Like, what's going on? Um, what happened? Did, 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 did somebody put me in an ankle lock before I went to bed? Like, what is going on? There's a verse in the Bible that is one of my go-to places when I'm talking to people, whether they're terminally ill, whether they're being diagnosed with cancer, or they're they're just coming to the place where they're getting ready to go to be with Jesus. And Paul is talking, he's talking about his reality and what he's experiencing. He says, though we are outwardly wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. See, what Paul is pointing to is this salvation of our body in the reality that because I have now been justified by God, phase one, I have an amazing future. And in that future, I will be experiencing glorification. Glorification is me ending up in this reality where there is no more sin to even be tempted to take a part of. This is why when people talk about heaven, some of the old saints, they're talking about when he enters into glory. We used to sing those old hymns. When, When I go to glory, what it's talking about there is me entering into a place where there is nothing to cloud out, diminish, or deprive us of the fullness of the glory of God. And so for me as a person, with a soul, a spirit, and a body, this body will be glorified, amen, when I'm in heaven with God. No more cancer, no more tears, no more backaches, no more baldness, no more broken legs, none of that. It will be fully glorified. And this is where we are freed up fully, From the presence of sin. Because now, our future, through faith, we have put it in Christ. We are now in a place where there is no sin present. We are freed, we are saved from the presence of any sin that could ever sneak in. All right? Let's talk about this part. So we have this soul. And again, over and over again in the Bible, when it talks about our souls, it can kind of be confusing. Because there's this part of us, like our soul, like what is that? Here's the way I would try to put it in in modern language and understanding. Like everybody's phone or computer or whatever device you use, it has what's called an operating system, an OS. And for every one of us, your soul is somewhat of the equivalent of your OS, your operating system. It's the thoughts, feelings, and emotion that lead you to think and do the things that you think and do. It's what drives you, motivates you in this moment. Whatever you're thinking right now, it's your operating system, your soul, leading you to think and feel those certain things. And so that's what's happening right now in the moment. And where we receive salvation from here and what we call that is this little thing called sanctification this is sanctification now again sanctification is a process and listen let me let me just unpack this a little bit for you when your spirit is saved that spirit inside of you it is what's called reborn in the moment of salvation you are now justified by god There's nothing that by faith we are saved. And that faith is what saves us. And that faith takes us to a place where now we stand before a holy God justified. And also in that moment, 
Our future is 100% secure. But how many of us, when we came out of the waters of baptism, or we prayed this prayer and we received that salvation of God, we did that and then immediately our minds and our thoughts just became so pure, so holy, so righteous that we just didn't think bad about anybody. When someone cut us off, we were like, come on, sister, you got it. Come on, you do you. It's all good. Like how many of us, when we got saved, that's just where our minds went? None of us. And see, your spirit can be re born but your mind it still needs to be renewed and the process of that renewal is called sanctification and this we are being saved from the power of sin to attack you in this very moment we're saved from the power of sin so to sum some of this up in regards to your salvation Are you saved? Yes. And that's right here. This is, I am saved. Come all the way down to this side. Here, in regards to our body and the glory and the future stuff that we're getting ready to enter into, this is where I am being saved. Just kidding. Did that wrong. This is where I will be saved. And right here in the middle is where I am being saved. And when Paul, you guys all see this? When Paul is writing to the church here in Ephesus, and he's trying to explain to them what this helmet of salvation is, he is talking about this ever-present salvation that we enter into in the very moment. To say, I still have this mind, and this mind is still jacked up, and this mind still thinks bad thoughts about people when they don't even really do anything to me. I still have this mind that is still corrupt. My soul and my spirit, they are, my soul is you know, still kind of here and it's kind of messed up. My, my spirit, it, God has, has saved and redeemed that, but this mind, whoo, this mind, it needs some help. And that help comes in as Jesus to save us from the power of sin that is at work to destroy everything in our operating system that would make us operate in the way we used to before we received the rebirth of Christ. And so if Paul, as he's talking about this, and he's saying our souls need to receive this salvation, our minds need to do this, I believe that's exactly why he came and he said, okay, Helmet of salvation. we got to put that thing over our head because we need in our minds, in our operating systems, a reminder that we have the actual power to overcome sin right here, right now. It's in us through Jesus. And the way that we sink deep into that power 
is remembering that my spirit has been reborn. My past has been forgiven. Every time that Satan tries to remind me of my past, I remind him of his future. It goes, hey, I've also, this body is wasting away. This body is failing me, but I have an amazing future. I'm going to be standing in glory with heaven forever in this world where things don't even begin to make sense. I can rest in the promise that I'm going to a place where there will be no tears, that where there will be no pain, there will be no sadness, and I will be with my Father forever out of fully the presence of sin. And that's what gives us a place to be able to go here and go, hey, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. That, friends, that is not a complicated understanding of salvation. That, for many of you, is the first time receiving a full understanding of what is actually happening in salvation for your whole person. Not just your eternal destination, but every single bit of who you are being saved, okay? So if we're talking about our mind here, operating system, I want to lay a plumb line for us together as a church so that you can know, okay, if my mind is supposed to be sanctified into Christ, then what in the world was his mindset like? If you got a Bible, go to Philippians chapter 2. Start in verse 3, Philippians chapter 2. Way back there in the back of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, it'll be on the screen there for us. Philippians 2, amazing passage of Scripture. Paul's talking, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, which that DQs me already this morning, because I did something. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. He's talking about the salvation of our mind, the salvation of our in-the-moment souls, our thoughts, our emotions. Have the same mindset of Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because of all of that, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let the church say amen. That is our mindset. The recurring theme, the recurring phrase in there was humility. And I want you to understand what's happening here. God, Jesus, at his highest of highs, let go of the heights of heaven. Let go of the glory and majesty of his divinity and came to earth. And didn't just say, I'm going to walk on earth and I'm going to be like a Muhammad or a Buddha and I'm going to tell people some wise things and then I'm going to go back and sit on my high castle. No, he said, I'm not just going to come to earth and come be with the people, but I'm going to actually go below the people. I'm going to humble myself, be a servant, be a slave, and die while perfect. And because he went to the lowest of lows, God has now exalted him to the highest of highs. And that's why every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And so if we want to have a saved mind capable of withstanding how the enemy will attack and seek to kill, steal, and destroy and infiltrate your mind, 
then that is the mind we are after. So with that being the mind that we're after, I want you to understand, again, I hinted at this already. This is a process. This is a daily walk. We are not just people who prayed a prayer and got out of the I'm going to hell line and got into the I'm going to heaven line. We exist on this earth and we are in the middle of something that has high, high stakes. That's why I believe Paul said what he did. In a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, if you've got a Bible, it's Romans 12 two. He said, don't conform anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See here, our spirits are reborn, phase one. There's nothing you can do to make yourself be born again. None of us, you know, you know we're in our mother's womb being like, I'm ready to be born. Like you were just born. Spiritually, you're just born. But we've already covered this. Our minds, they don't just wake up one day and become something new. Our minds are not to be reborn. They are to be renewed. And that's why Paul said, don't conform anymore to this pattern of the world. Do you realize in your brain, the science of your brain, and God actually created you in this way so that you would be most uh, glorified in him as you are truly satisfied in him. But in your mind, what happens when you seek pleasure and you get pleasure, uh, you get one of those dopamine hits, whether it's from a, a red notification on a social media page or, or stuffing Oreo cheesecake into your mouth, whatever it may be, when you get pleasure, whatever way you got it, what is created in your mind is a thing called a neuropathway. It's the equivalent to a trail in the woods. And the more you walk that way and get pleasure that way, the deeper and more road out that road begins to become. That's why Paul said, don't conform anymore to the patterns of this world. I want to give you a new pattern and a new path to walk on. And this is something that has to be done by Christ. Because many of us, whether it's via addiction or our own habits we've created, We have gotten our pleasure from places other than Christ. And so this transformation that has to happen in our mind is literally the Holy Spirit of God beginning to rewire our mind. And it happens as we walk with him. Paul was talking to the church in Corinthians. And he was trying to help them understand how to win this battle of the mind and how that's where the enemy would start. If if, if there was ever to be a game created that was bingo based off of phrases that I say a lot. And I don't say it a whole lot to you. I say it more often in meetings and definitely in my home. But if there were ever going to be bingo made off of phrases that Trent says, I know for sure there would be two of them. One, drink more water. Two, it's all in your head. It's all in your head. It's all in your head. See, I think it's time that we as people get out of this mode of operating where we feel our way into thinking. That's not not a biblical way of our actions. God has called us to think your way into feeling. We we, we think these thoughts, we put these things, we hide God's word in our heart, and we think on these things, and then they are what come out of our life. And now I feel a certain way because I have thought a certain way. Not the opposite. I had lunch this week with one of the... Best friends I have here at MCC, a man who's given me a lot of wisdom. And I was talking about my past and how in my past, there are so many people who have struggled with with drug and alcohol addiction. And he said, do you ever worry about your propensity towards addiction? 
in a, in a very kind way, if I could have said all the things that were in my mind, it would have sounded differently. But in a very kind way, I said, it's not even an option. Because my mind has been made up. And, and this is the place when it comes to our mind that I feel like we are powerless to Satan's attacks. Because so many of us will just wait for the temptation to come and then we'll make up our mind. I believe God's calling us in this series to be truly battle-ready Christians who have already made our mind up. And so I I have my mind made up about Titus and Ezra. I have my mind made up that they are going to glorify God with their lives until they glow. I have my mind made up that the Shoemaker family through those boys is going to bear fruits for generations. I have my mind made up. It is not an option for me to commit an affair. I have my mind up. My mind is made up. I I will not steal money from a church. I will not embezzle. I will do everything I can to be as trustworthy as I possibly can. And my mind is made up. Now, some of you would go, that sounds cocky. That sounds overconfident. You're counting your chickens before they hatch. I call that faith. That's what I call that. That, That's that's who... And and my thing is, is, I just feel like we are so susceptible to how the enemy will infiltrate because we've left so many things as an option and they're not even on the table. we got to take them off the table because this place right here, this is the high ground and this is a place where the battle, not just of your mind, but of your life on earth as a Christian is fought and won. Paul knew this. That's why he said this to the church in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. He said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. Again, nothing has became physical yet here. He is still all in the mind. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We take prisoner of war thoughts and we make them obedient to Christ. Now they work and serve for the glory of God. That word there, pretension, is is not my favorite translation of the Greek word that's right there in verse 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension. Really, it should say, we demolish arguments and every high place. The original readers of that would have understood that much better as he is talking about we demolish every high place because in their uh, past version of warfare, what it was all contingent on was who had the higher ground. And in a lot of these high places, even in, in, in very pagan cities, they would set up altars to false gods in these places and then they would go up there and that would be where they would try to defend their cities, whether it was with arrows, whether it was swords, whatever. They would try to defend themselves from the high places. And when Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth, there was one of these there in the mountains in Corinth where they were known, that's their high place. That's where the battle is fought and won. And Paul is trying to get us to understand, this is our high place. And whoever has hold of the high place is going to win the battle. Many of you may remember the battle of Iwo Jima. In the battle of Iwo Jima, there was this high place called Mount Suribachi. World War II, during the battle of Iwo Jima, on this small island, eight miles wide, the battle of Iwo Jima was a five-week-long battle. Over 7,000 Marines died there on Iwo Jima. Total, there were 26,000 casualties. Have we shown them the picture yet? Show them that picture. 
Okay, so that's Iwo Jima. That big high place there is Mount Suribachi. There were three airstrips on the island, and the battle there of Iwo Jima became one, became one of the most fought-over pieces of real estate ever, even though that little piece of land was only eight square miles long. The reason it was so bloody of a battle is because the Japanese forces dug into this mountain. They built tunnels and systems all through it, and they went up in it, and they continued to have the high ground until the day where this picture was taken. When the Marines found their way up the mountain, and they took our flag and planted it on top of the mountain. And my question is, whose flag is grounded in the high places of your mind? See, we have an active enemy, and and his whole goal and his whole purpose in life is to take his flag of darkness, of sin, of betrayal, and to plant that in the high place of your mind because he knows that if he can have that high, secure, stronghold position, that he wins every single day. But I love what Paul asked. Why I believe he says that we demolish arguments in every high place that sets us up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to God. If you're writing notes, I want you to take this down as a place of application. That if you don't take your thoughts captive, they will take you. If you're not willing to take them captive, to make them obedient to God, they will take you captive and they will make you obedient to whatever they want you to be. See, Satan's job, he doesn't know your thoughts. Again, I've said this multiple times in this series. He doesn't need to know your thoughts. He sees your actions. He doesn't need to read your mind. He sees what you do and he knows what you think. Because of that, his whole goal is to get his thoughts into your head. So much so that you begin to think that they are not even his, but they are yours. My prayer is that we would be so sanctified, that we'd be so saved from the power of those evil thoughts coming in, that we go to the place where we say, no, those things have been demolished by my God. It is not an option. The Bible made it really clear to us that this place of a a high place or stronghold, that it is not just uh, some place we get to by doing good and living right and doing these things, but it actually told us that that high place has an identity. Psalm 18, verse 2. My absolute favorite verses of all time, one of the very first ones I ever memorized, says this. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This place of power from which I fight from, he is my stronghold. And what you need to understand here. That in regards to this high ground, in regards to this mountainous position that, that, that we would seek to fight from, that we, we have a God in Jesus who took the high ground. See, as he began to come to the end of his lives and after he, he faced this fake mock trial, he was taken to this high ground called Calvary. And there on Calvary, he gave his life and as he, as a perfect perfect, fully man, 
and fully God, gave his life once and for all. That high ground was taken for me and you as he gave his life. And he fought from that position and from his fighting on that position, we now stand in victory. See, the high ground for you, friends, is not something that you have to take anymore. The high ground is just something you merely have to keep. And my prayer is that you know that that is where we fight from. We fight from the high ground of Calvary so that the high ground of our minds can stay victorious as we are being saved. That the thoughts that come in here, they are filtered through God's word. They are filtered through what we know about our past being redeemed and our future being set up for us and it being really, really, really good looking. And that's where we sit in these moments. And we can rest knowing that whatever this world throws out, however bleak and, and how bad it gets, that we, we stand and we fight from victory we're going to sing that song now as we declare about what God has done my prayer is that if you have never put your salvation in Christ if all these things you're not really worried about I'm not justified I'm not sanctified I'm not glorified I'm not entering into glorification right now you're kind of just standing here going I feel like I'm missing out on something I want to invite you to allow Jesus to truly save you all of you so that your days, your life, your future, everything looks way different than it is right now. If you want to put your hope, your heart, your life in his hands and receive his free gift of salvation, I invite you to do that. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I give my life to you. Save me from what I have become. Forgive me of my past. Set me up with the future you always wanted. And give me the power to resist the sin in this moment. I give my heart to you. I give my life to you. Save me. Redeem me. Now in this moment, for the rest of my life. In your name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to know that you're standing now in victory. I want you to know that the step that we take now is we take a step into baptism. Our way of going public with, with what's going on, our way of standing and declaring that this is whose side I'm on. This is who I fight with to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit and walk in Christ like you never have before. Let's stand, church. Let's sing together.